I don't know, Pastor James has been killing it the last few weeks. What's he been talking about? Anointing, repentance, holiness. I know, like I came up to on time in repentance, and I felt like I needed to get saved again. I don't know. Anybody else felt like that? But that's a good thing. And, you know, the goodness of God leads us to what? That just tells us another sign that God is so good. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, I'm going to talk to you about something. It's not very really a popular topic, but I believe it's necessary. It's called the fear of the Lord, a.k.a. the fear of God. You guys ready for that? I think uh, we're going to get some insights. And uh, this man by the name of John Bunyan, many of you know, he had this quote, and I just want to kick it off with that, and then we'll pray. He said, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And they that lack the beginning had either the middle nor the end. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the word. For weeks you've developed in my heart. Let me deliver it with excellence as if an oracle from heaven. I always recognize apart from you, I can't do anything. Father, you knew since the foundation of the earth what I was going to deliver today. And I asked your hand to be strong upon it. That everybody in here hears something that need to, they need to get out of, Lord. I need your presence to be so tangible today. I thank you this is the house of miracles. And we're going to leave a little bit different than we came. Amen? Amen. Glory to God. You ready to get into it? Yeah. Remember the passage of Scripture? We don't have to turn there. But there was a, a master who commissioned three people to do something with talents. Now, I'm not talking about talent like your gift. That was a way of currency, talent. And he commissioned three people. I'm going to give you this talent. And what I want you to do with it, I want you to watch it for me. I want you to make it multiply. And gave these talents, a few to the first, a few to the second, and a few to the third. But very interesting, the man with the first talent, he hit it. And when the master came back, he wasn't too happy with him. He said, why'd you hide it? And he said, well, master, I was so scared, I really didn't want to lose it, and I didn't really want to mess up, so I just put buried it in the ground, knowing I'd just have this one talent to give you right back. See, an unholy fear of God causes you to run from him, causes you to hide, causes you not to seek him, but a righteous fear of the Lord calls all men to draw to him. And the other ones, the other talents, they sown their talents into the harvest or to people, and that's what God's looking to do when we have that holy reverence fear of the Lord. We'll be able to look a little bit more like Jesus and sow into other people's lives, and Proverbs 1 verse 7 says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning, everybody say the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. I want to talk about a man named Solomon. I've been just digging in for the last few months about Solomon. Solomon, I mean, this guy just amazes me. Now, this boy was commissioned by God to lead nations. Now, I'm not talking about a few people. He actually went and said he was leading nations multiple nations, too numerous to count. He was 12 years old when he first got commissioned to do this task. And he's credited with being the wisest man of his time. And actually, as his teenage years and young adult years, there was kings and ambassadors that would travel for miles and miles just to get Solomon's wisdom. I'm not really seeking out 12-year-olds for advice. I mean, I'm just saying, do you go to your kids and say, uh, what should I do about this financial situation? (laughs) 
I mean, I have one of those ages in my household, and it's probably not the first question is, uh, can you balance my checkbook for me or something? <laughs> Nobody in the house is doing that. But, but Solomon grew up with parents that understood the fear of the Lord. He understood about seeking God first in every single decision, whether you think it's major or minor. And, uh, even ambassadors and, and people would travel and ride on camels, sometimes for three to five days just to seek out his wisdom. In Solomon's early reign, there was no poverty in the land. There was no homelessness. Famine never took its place. The violence was such at a low level that that's one of the main reasons that people would come. How is your land so fruitful and multiplied? And his answer sometimes were my holy reverence and fear of the Lord. And I wrote this down. It was the holy virtue of the fear of God that set him up for success. The problem is with many leaders, we can read in the Bible, they start out good, they start out seeking God, and years go by and they think they can do it themselves. They start taking advice from people or their surroundings and looking at circumstances and maybe I should do this, and they forget to seek the Lord. Sometimes their end doesn't look as good as their beginning, but watch in 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 7 and 9. Watch Solomon, right around 15 to 16 years old, verse 7. Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I am only a little child, and I don't know how to carry out my duties. Verse 8, your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or even number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish what is right from wrong. But he didn't end up so well. He actually started seeking the advice of others. He wasn't consecrated to God. He didn't have the fear of the Holy One. And his pagan's wife started, pagan wives actually started talking to him and influencing Solomon over his latter years. And he ended up worshiping pagan gods because he lost the fear of the Lord and but like many of the stories of the heroes and the Davids and the Samsons, right at the end, they start to get a wow moment like, oh my goodness. And Solomon said in many of his passages, he wrote Ecclesiastics, I believe Song of Solomon's and many of Proverbs. He said, oh my goodness, all this stuff I've been doing, chasing women, chasing riches, doing all this, what did he say? He said, this is vanity, this is vanity, this is vanity. And he turned it around and he said these words in Ecclesiastes, remember your God, remember your God, remember your God. Ecclesiastes 12, 13, watch this, one of his final verses or one of the final scrolls that he wrote down before he went on home to be with the Lord. He said, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is all, this is our duty of mankind. Well, that makes it pretty easy. Fear God, keep his commandments, and this is our duty. What is the fear of God? The fear of God is not being scared of God. It's being afraid to be apart from him. That we need him more than every single breath in our lungs. 
It's not being petrified. Actually, the Bible says it's the same word fear used there as when he made us. We were fearfully and wonderfully made. Do you think God was scared when he made us? <laughs> or, or scared about making us? No, it was the all of God. Come on, we need to come back to the all wonder of God. It's the same word used when he says, fear the Lord. It's not being scared of him. How can you have a relationship with your spouse that you're scared of? Would that ever work? Does that make sense as a holy relationship? Fearing your spouse, fearing your loved one. That's not what he's talking about when he talks about fear. Question, question. Okay, this is a trick question. I don't want to embarrass anybody. But whoever's brave enough to yell out the answer. When Moses led God's people out of Egypt, where were they to go? Oh, crickets. I know nobody wants to answer. Just be brave. No. Watch this. Here's your answer, Exodus chapter 7, verse 16. When I found this out, it blew my mind. Gave me a heart transplant. <laughs> Here we go. You guys ready? Then say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, this is Moses talking to Pharaoh, let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. Hmm. Why? If you obtain the promise before the promise keeper, that promise will just be an idol. See, too often we missed it in the church, and when I grew up, because I've heard preachers just preach, oh, I'm going to get in trouble. Oh, first-time visitor, if you just pay your tithes today, next week God's going to pour out a blessing, your, your checkbook's going to look good, all your problems in life are going to go away, and all we do is point people to the promise. We fit, hey, first step, go to the promise keeper and worship the king, develop a relationship and have a fear of God. So therefore, when we get the promise, we can be like, we get able to sustain it and it won't kill us and it won't hurt us and it won't break us. We've missed it so many times in the church. I'm, oh, what's it after me, after me, after me? What about me? What's God going to do for me? Oh, I can go to church and I'm just going to have a big old smile on the face next week because God's pouring out his blessings. I'm not here to talk fast about preachers or teachers, but there's been some televangelists that will talk uh, that had to repent in their latter years, and I'm not going to name names, but there were some powerful preachers that had multitudes, and in the end of their ministry, they repented about things that could, oh, well, come on. I wasn't sure if I was even going to say this this morning, but I believe God says, I've never been called to be a prostitute. Come to God for whatever I can get, and then when I got what I got, I'm out. They were not first commissioned to go to the promised land until they find the promiser. The relationship with King Jesus. And I, I contemplated this in, in, in the story of Moses. I didn't even see it. I feel sometimes like I've arrived and I figured out the Bible and pastors preach uh, uh, scripture. I can finish it most of the time. My wife gets annoyed. She's like, I just want to hear him preach. Stop ending every scripture just because you know it. And I'm like, oh, I arrived. Oh, I'm preaching behind the pulpit. I must know everything about the kingdom of God. And, I, and just recently I read, why was Moses the only one that didn't want to go back? See, see, Moses was in Pharaoh's temple. Pharaoh was his uncle for 40 years, church. Had whatever he wanted, all the money he wanted, women he wanted, 
tell anybody what to do at any moment, but he's the only one that didn't want to go back. The slaves that were free wanted to go back to slavery, wanted to go back to their own vomit, wanted to go back to being tortured and being whipped on their back. Why? One encounter at the, at the burning bush that Moses had shifted his life forever. No, I don't want to go back to that. Any Maserati he could have had, Bugatti, Denny, he could have any Harley Davidson he wanted, but he said, no, I had one encounter with the living God at the burning bush, which changed my life forever. Maybe the children, if they had that one encounter where they were supposed to worship God first, it would have shifted their mindset and they would have got to the promised land in 11 days, which they were actually supposed to. What happened at that burning bush that was so powerful? He was having a conversation with God at this burning bush, and something came out of the burning bush that shifted his thinking. Moses asked God, when I go back to free these people, my people, what should I tell them? Who should I say that sent me? There's a Hebrew word, elesh eleya, Asher Aleya, which is the words he used, I am that I am. I am, in that context, is the same word was used when the woman at the well was going through all her wives and she was frustrated and she was going to this well and she was kept trying to draw from the world and what people had to offer and what men had to offer. And she asked this question to Jesus, are you the Messiah, the one that is to come? Jesus responded and said, I am. That word in Hebrew, watch this now. A-H-Y-E-H, I am, is the ultimate statement of self-existence, immediate presence, and all-sufficiency. In other words, when he said, I am, to Moses, he said, I am the one that's going to be the all-sufficient and meet your needs. When Jesus was at the well with this woman, he was saying, I am. The one that's going to meet all your needs. Come to me, the Bible says, all that are weary, heavy laden, burdened by life, and I will give you rest. Have we had encounters at the burning bush? Have we preached messages like Pastor about repentance and holiness and drawing after him, the well, the cup that never runs dry? Have we been preaching those messages? I'm all about God's blessing and favor on my life and how he can turn things around in the midnight hour. Didn't God do it again for me over and over in my life? But there's a difference about drawing and worshiping first. And the byproduct is those blessings. Watch what Moses says to the children while they're out there grumbling and complaining. Moses said to the people, Exodus 20, 20, if you wanted to turn there, do not fear For God has come to test you, that the fear of God, excuse me, that the fear of him may be before you, and that you may not sin. Let me read that again, because I botched it. Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. That almost sounds like a contradiction. Fear God so that you don't fear God. What's the word used? Translated. 
Do not be scared of God, but fear God. When you fear God, you go draw close to him. And when you draw close to him, you start thinking and have it as mindset. You don't start hating sin because he hates sin. You want to get the junk out of your life? Draw close to God. Two parallels. You remember Adam and Eve? When they sinned, they were a fear of his punishment, what God would do to them. And it said they ran from God and hid in the bushes. If you don't have a holy fear of God, you'll run instead of draw close to him. Peter in the Bible talked about the fear of God so much. I can just picture, Pastor, that what Jesus was thinking. Peter was always like by Jesus, close to him. I mean, I was, if I was Jesus, I'd be like, Peter, come on, give me some space here. Like, there's other disciples. But Peter knew the fear of the Lord. He knew how he had to continue to draw close. Right before Peter messed up about denying Jesus, Jesus said, if you just draw close to me and pray, you'll be able to withstand the temptation that's about to overtake you. James was another one. I preach out of James a lot. James is a holiness um, fear of the Lord type of preacher and preacher and, and speaker. And he talked about repentance. He talked about purifying our hearts. He talked about how many times he messed up and how he had to draw close to him. And one of the most famous passages of scripture in James is James 4.8. No, you're good. It's a good one. <laughs> come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, your sinners, and purify your hearts. Now, James is the man. You know, James was known as camel knees. Because he was on his knees so many times, and we have pictures on the side here, that his knees would be so bloody, so blistered, so callous, because he was on his hands and feet for Jesus in the throne room of heaven calling on God to purify his heart, having a holy reverence in the fear of the Lord. And do you have that next picture? Could it be, we've been preaching revival for months now, could it be the Lord is waiting for these altars to be indented by the knees of the saints in repentance? Could it be that maybe it might not look as clean, maybe these altars might get a little messy if we want revival, not only inside, but on the outside, the church and the nation and then Easter outreach and into our cities. James got to get, James brought revival into his city because of this. His knees, consecration to God. Not because of his blessings, not because of his favor. Some of the biggest churches that have revival don't got no money in their bank account. Now, I'm not saying that's a bad or a good thing, I'm just saying. God can do it again. He can do it in the midnight hour. He don't need your money to do it. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He's more well and capable of bringing revival into this house. Mm -hmm. Is this a popular message? I don't think so. Is it the one that's going to get a preacher to everyone to stand and clap and shout? But my Bible says my house it's going to be a house of prayer. When you draw so close to God, some of the, some of the things that happen, you start loving what he hates, excuse me, loving what he loves, hating what he, thinking like he thinks, acting like he's, th you'll get a new prescription of glasses to see people how Jesus sees them when you draw close. 
And when people are doing your wrong, the forgiveness will be that much more easy because that's what God did for us. And I was telling you, you early, I, used, I think sometimes that I've arrived and I know what's going on and I understand how the church operates. And oh, when, I, when the Lord kind of revealed this message to me, I said, like, I got a whole lot of things I need to know. And I realized the more I draw close, the more revelation God brings to me. Do you know a very strong passage of scripture says, God does not throw pearls to swine. In other words, the good stuff, the revelation only comes to those that draw close. He preached the Sermon on the Mount, many, many awesome messages where people had absolutely no clue what he was talking about. But it was the disciples, the, one that drew, the ones that drew close, actually got the insight and the revelation of it. So, so the fear of God commissions us or is one of the forefronts to revival. And we can see that in the early church. And the early church, when it actually exploded, was it, we can find it in the book of Acts. But let, let's just read this passage of scripture really quick. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. You guys okay this morning so far? Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living, someone say living. Living, live, 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 living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. The church then began to increase. Some translations said it multiplied. You want to have peace in your life? Have the fear of the Lord in your life. You want the house of God to multiply? Have the fear of the Lord in your heart. One of the, uh, when I was seeking God's face and for, you know, new insight, new revelation. I want, sometimes I just love how reading scriptures sometimes and you, you've never seen something that pops off on the inside of your spirit. It's like, oh, I never saw that before. This is amazing. Or you're just, just doing life and God shows up and, and you're like, oh, that's what I've been looking for. I need that refresh or that reset. And I was, um, 2018, I was for months in the Middle East doing mission work for organization and, um. I was working with the Islamic people, um, just a byproduct. There's some sweet people over there. I mean, it was a great time. There's just some, some hearts that just, my goodness, if they get, you know, transplanted into the kingdom of God, I mean, they are some consecrated people five times a day in their mosque praying. Do you imagine if these individuals get saved? Whew, they're going to make us look weak, man. I'm telling you, we better step up our game. But anyway, I had this opportunity with 12 of us that were over there to go to this uh, man's house who actually was captured by Al-Qaeda for 11 days. Now over there we were teaching English um, to the kids um, that kind of knew a little bit of English, but their native uh, language is Arabic, but whew, Arabic's a tough one. But, but we got to talk to their parents. Now their parents just let them go to this Christian-based English teaching school, which was freaking awesome, I'm just telling you. So we got back to their house, 12 of us, and we were listening to this guy's story, and it was like a little worn-down house, cement. We were all in a circle, and his wife brought us out watermelon and this honey drink. Like it was, I don't know, something sweet, but it was good. Like the watermelon was so like fresh, it like still had the manure on it. I mean, I don't know, it was, it was good, it was so fresh. So we finished it, all of us, we downed all the watermelon, downed the drink, and, and she, bring, she picks up her plates, she goes back into the room as, as her husband's talking, brings out a whole new plate of watermelon for all of us. 
Now, to feed us 12 in the size of the bowl, that's probably four watermelons per time she came in. She did it. We finished it because we think in our culture, you know, finish what's on your plate. That's a nice thing to do. We finished it again. She goes back in there. I'm not kidding you. Brings out more watermelon and more drink. So we begin to discuss what, what we didn't understand in that culture. If, if you are happy with it or satisfied, you're supposed to leave a little bit left. You're supposed to leave a little bit of your drink left and a little piece of your watermelon telling the host, thank you so much, it was so good. But if you finished it, it was kind of like, this isn't that great, can you try again? Oh, no. <laughs> now, now, here's the revelation, I'm going somewhere with this. <laughs> in, in our culture, it's kind of, you know, it's different, you know, you'll finish your food, that's good. But in, okay, in the Jewish culture, when you're eating, if you were done, you would fold up your napkin and you would just place it on your plate. And then if you, yeah, that would tell the hostess that they're done, um, they're not coming back. Here's the interesting thing. If you would fold up your napkin in fours, place it to the left side of the plate, that would tell the hostess that you might be leaving, but you're coming back. You might go on like a, a walk or the, the restroom, but you're coming back. Here's the point. Here's the revelation I want us to, to get when we talk about the fear of the Lord and what God's up to, and if we keep pressing forward. Well, here's a look. God gave me a little bit of an insight in John chapter 20, verse 7. This is Jesus. As right after he resurrected and you had the disciples looking in his tomb and they saw it empty. Come on, watch this now. Verse 7 of John 27. And the face cloth which bent on Jesus' head, not, stop reading ahead of me, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Come on, every once in a while, we need to have some moments where God encourages us that you keep consecrating, you keep drawing close to me, you keep having the fear of God, and trust me, one day I'm going to make it right with that devil. He's going to be in the hell for the bits and for eternity. So right now, stay close. I'm not leaving you. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm your God. I am returning one day or another. Don't worry about when. Just be my people and be my house and keep serving people in the church. Keep doing outreaches. Keep asking for revival. Keep concentrating yourself. Keep putting your knees on the ground. I want to see some James up in this place and watch what I do before I return so I can come back with a bride that is not without spot or wrinkle, consecrated holy ones, and we're going to meet up in the air with our Jesus because he said in the book he's coming back. Come on, is there one or two people in this place that believe that? I mean, one or two? Fear of the Lord is valuing so much, is valuing God so much that you don't want to hurt his heart. It's a necessity in Christian life. It's not an option. There's a holiness preacher, a revival preacher in the 1800s. Some of you old school might know Oswald Chambers. Said this. When you have the holy fear of God, you fear nothing else. I mean, fear of man, I'm, I'm done with it. I'm over with the fear of man. What does that mean, scared of man? No, scared to be uh, approach man with the, with the gospel of the good news because of what they may think or talk or say about you. Drawing close with the fear of God, you'll lose the fear of man. Revival starts with the one. It's an encounter, maybe on the road to Damascus like Paul. It's consecration, maybe like James. 
It's Solomon at the end of his life said, above all, fear, the, fear God, it's our duty. Come on, someone say amen to that. Amen. amen. Can you stand? Worship teams can come. Can we throw the lights down just for a moment? We're just going to have a holy moment in the house. <laughs> What area in our lives right now do we need to have the fear of God? Yes, God's a loving God that cares for us, has unconditional love. But it's also a God that has to be a judge. He has to make right things that aren't. And the Bible says this, some of us in the world, uh, God will not be mocked, it says in the word of God. Is it a coincidence? I don't know where maybe in Brazil, if you saw a month ago, a parade mocking Jesus, worshiping Satan. Could it be not a coincidence that the next day there were storms and tornadoes that were released? I'm not saying God does or doesn't do it, but sometimes we don't understand where God allows. I love preaching the love of God and his heart and his forgiveness but there's a holy fear of the Lord that we really got to have and come back to the awestruck wonder of a living God that is alive now and one day we'll become face to face with him every person I say this many times that we come in contact with are going to go to one of two places I just recently saw a video of someone went, went to, uh, to heaven and there was this book this book room or library and on the shelf was all of our names that are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, but there's pages and it was, how many people have you led to the Lord? Maybe a lot of us in here, have, our books are pretty thin in that area. <laughs> but now's the time to lay up treasures in heaven where moth and rust won't destroy. We gotta get more names written in that Lamb's Book of Life. And it starts with revival. It starts with the Holy God. So let's reflect this morning. Amen. If the God's bringing up, the Holy Spirit's bringing something on the inside of you that you lost your wonder, your awe of God. Let's just come to repentance. You don't have to come to the altar. You definitely can. Say, Lord, I just, I just forgive you now this morning that I took advantage of you. I haven't, I don't respect you as much as I used to when I was 12 or when I was younger, like Solomon. Stuff that the world brings me is just vanity. I need you, Jesus show up in my life mightily than ever before I want to be the James I want to be the consecrated one revival starts on the inside of me work on me Lord turn the, the gauge of conviction on my heart so I can become more like you in Jesus name if you agree say amen amen let's worship